Welcome to this special Christmas edition of the Southcrest Live podcast. As we enter into this season of Advent, when we celebrate Christ's first coming, let us be mindful that the story of our redemption is not simply about Christ's birth, but also about his life, death, resurrection, and return. If this is your first time to listen, be sure to connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening, and enjoy today's Christmas message from our senior pastor, Dr. David Wilson. That's one of those songs you never get tired of hearing. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're going to actually read about a little bit about Mary, about what she said after the angel declared to her that she was going to give birth to Jesus. If you're a country music fan, you know the name Travis Tripp. Travis made a name for himself playing everything from southern rock to bluegrass to standard country music. In an interview, he revealed a little-known secret about his early years where he played out-of-the-way joints that sometimes got dangerous. He said that when a bar brawl broke out, Tritt tried something that worked so well that it became his standard response every time a fight started. He said just when things started getting out of hand, when bikers were reaching for their pool cues and rednecks were heading for the gun rack, I'd start playing Silent Night. It could be in the middle of July, I didn't care. He said he played, when he played, grown men would stop everything and calm down. Sometimes they even started crying, standing there watching me sweat and play Christmas carols. Well, today I want us to read what I'm going to call the first Christmas carol. I really believe it is the first one, if you want to call it that. It's the uh, Magnificat or the psalm that Mary declared and spoke after the angel told her that she was going to give the birth uh, give birth to Jesus would you stand while I read beginning in verse 46 the song of Mary and Mary said my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you speak to us, that you help us understand the real spirit of Christmas. And we pray that today everyone here will understand and be a part of the real spirit of Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's talk about the real spirit of Christmas. Just what is it? To Scrooge, the real spirit came in three ghosts. The liquor industry 
It'll be $6.25 billion this month. Some people feel that the Christmas spirit is somehow the truce that takes place in the family where nobody brings up the issues and quarrels they usually fight about. For some people, the Christmas spirit is an attitude of happiness found in the fellowship of friends or the party spirit while consuming 22 million turkeys. For many, however, the Christmas spirit is not so trivial. It's not so frivolous or fun because it reminds them of all that's wrong in their life. It's a time of sadness and increased depression because all that's wrong in your life is measured against what everyone else appears to be happy when everybody else appears to be happy and and the spirit of the season. And they're reminded of how things aren't going so well One little boy suggested that the Christmas spirit is really contentment because that's what you're going to need when you don't get what you want. And of course, someone put it this way, nothing destroys the Christmas spirit faster than looking for a parking place. Now, if you want the answers, go to answers.com on the internet. I'm just kidding. But there is a place called Answers.com, and, and, I, and, and, I, and you go on there, and it says, what is the Christmas spirit? And here's the answer. If you ask 10 people what the Christmas spirit is, you'll probably get seven to eight different answers. Going beyond those different answers, there's something that makes people more selfless, more friendly, more kind, and generally much nicer people at Christmas. Of course, if you've seen the movie Elf, the Christmas spirit makes Santa's sleigh fly. What is the Christmas spirit? Are you in it? Have you caught it? You'll say, are you in the Christmas spirit yet? Well, how do you know when you're in it? What is it? How do you get in the Christmas spirit? Well, I went back to (laughs) answers.com. You'll love this answer. To get into the Christmas spirit, try giving and singing Christmas songs in the car. Pretty soon your whole family will join in. There you've got it. We're dismissed. (laughs) You better not leave. (laughs) While your Bibles are open in Luke chapter 1, let me show you the Christmas spirit. Look at verse 41. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she spoke out with a loud voice. Look at verse 67. Now, his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Luke chapter 2, verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Down at verse 20. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. If you look at verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Look down in verse 36, really verse 38. It's about Anna. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Israel. In Israel. Elizabeth, Zacharias, the angels, the shepherds, Simeon, Anna, basically had one response worship. That's the spirit of Christmas. You see, the spirit of Christmas and all those participants in the first Christmas was praise and thanks 
Even in Matthew chapter 2, the account of the three wise men or the, the magi, we don't know if there were three, we assume there were three, but the wise men that came, when they came, they came saying what? We have come to worship him. And Herod even got caught up in it and said, well, now when you find this little baby boy, you let me know because I want to come and worship him. Of course, we know he was lying. So worship. Now, when I, hear, when I mention the word worship, immediately a lot of people go a lot of different directions with what that is because some people will say it's singing some people will say well it's the preaching some will say it's meditating some will say it's going to church what is worship well to give form to our worship let's look at mary as she begins to worship the lord after the information is given to her or the announcement is given to her that she's going to bear the christ child well, first thing you'll notice is the approach and awareness in worship. Worship is an attitude of the heart that is so filled with wonder and gratitude at what God has done that you don't think of your own personal needs. All you think about is thanking God and praising him for what he has done. Worship is the most selfless thing that we do. It really is. It takes our focus off of ourselves and it puts them on and puts them on God. Now, as we look at this song or prayer or magnificent from Mary, I, I want to take just a moment to pause and, and tell you that there's some erroneous teaching. I believe it's erroneous because it's not biblical. I'm not being critical. I'm not making this up. You can check it out for yourself. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But but Mary. Mary has been elevated, in, especially in the Roman Catholic traditions, to a place of worship. Mary is not to be worshipped. She's worshipping here. And so she's not, the, when, it, when it says all the generations will call me blessed, I'll address that in just a moment. But, but basically, there's a, a, a made-up reality about Mary to the point that the, the, the Catholic Church teaches the immaculate conception of Mary. Not that Jesus was immaculately conceived in her. She was immaculately conceived in her mother's womb, that she was a result of a virgin birth. And they also teach the sinlessness of Mary, that she lived her entire life uh, without sin. There's the, the teaching of the perpetual virginity of Mary, that once she gave birth to Jesus, she never knew a man, never had any more children, that she was, it kind of um, preserves in their system something of the purity and untouched character of Mary. There's the assumption of Mary that she didn't really die, that she bodily ascended into heaven. And when she got to heaven, she was coronated the queen of heaven, a position of sovereignty and a position of authority. And if you're really honest in the Catholic system, Jesus himself is put in a position on occasion of appealing to his mother. Now, Again, I'm not being ugly. I'm not trying to be. I'm just trying to tell you the difference between what's been made up about her and been given to them by the church and, and what the scripture teaches about her. Because to me, the scripture has authority over the church. The church does not have authority over the scripture. Rome has even said that when Gabriel came to announce to Mary that she would bear the Lord, that the angel was really only asking if it could happen. And if that's true, then that leaves the whole salvation or redemptive plan resting on the authority of Mary. When we know that's not true, 
So as a result, they do some damage to this, and, and I don't want that to be the case. And again, if you are from the Catholic tradition, I encourage you to read your Bible. Don't take what you've been told word for word. Read it for yourself. Now, that's all I'm going to say on that. But I want you to notice a couple of things about the real side of Mary. First of all, two characteristics of this approach and awareness in worship. The first, worship comes and begins from the internal. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. The inner person. There's, we sometimes use the spirit and soul synonymously. But folks, I want you to know that in the scripture, there's a difference. Did you know there's three parts to us, to mankind? You have a body, you have a soul, you have a spirit. The triune God, we were made in the image of God. There's three parts to us. Second Peter even talks about the word of God is able to, uh, to um, penetrate the, the soul and spirit. It, it, it indicates there's a difference. The spirit is the part of us that can know God. That's why we're not animals. And don't let Peter tell you we're just the highest order of animals. We have a spirit. We have the capacity to know God. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, I always expected them to die immediately when they ate of the fruit because God said it would happen. If you eat of this fruit, you will die. When they ate of the fruit, they died, but they're still alive. I was expecting them to drop dead. Well, they died in their spirit, the capacity to commune with God and hid themselves from God. Eventually, they died in their soul, their mind, emotions, and will. The soul is the emotional part of us, the, the, the will. And eventually, they died in their body. And of course, now let me give you the other side. When Jesus comes into your life, he gives you life in your spirit immediately. You know God. You have a relationship with God. He eventually changes your mind, emotions, and will. He, he makes us better. And eventually, praise God, you'll get a new body. Wouldn't that be wonderful to be on Christmas Day? Let's just have the rapture and we'll be given a new body right then. <laughs> Jesus reversed the process. All that was free. My soul does magnify the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. You see, there's something very interesting here. In verse 46, the, the, the verb magnifies or exalts is in past tense. Excuse me, it's in present tense. Continuous. In verse 47, my spirit has rejoiced is in past tense. So the reason that she is continually praising, magnifying the Lord is because something happened in the past tense. I thought somebody say amen on that. Amen. Internal. I want you to understand that a lot of times people think, well, if I just go through the motions, if I come recite a creed, if I just read some stuff, if I sing a song, if I give my offering, if I attend church, I have worshiped. <laughs> Not necessarily. Because you can do all those things and not worship. 
Because worship begins on the inside. It's an internal thing. My soul, my spirit rejoice in the Lord. I have the capacity to know God. It's also very intense. You see, my soul magnifies the Lord. The word magnifies, the word megaluno. Mega means more than you need. It's something to enlarge. It crescendos. It's more than you need. Have you ever seen on a stereo that says mega bass? means more than you need. Some of those guys have it in their cars. You drive up by you in an intersection while you're stopped at a traffic light. And when you hear their bass in your car, they've got more than they need. That's mega bass. Well, she's saying, I mega luno, I mega exalt the Lord. I, it's more than just thinking about it. It's exalting and praising him. And then she uses the word rejoiced, which is, means to be overflowed with joy. Here's what I want you to see. The soul is the root and seed of our emotions. It refers to our inner self, our emotional center. But the spirit is the part of us that knows God. And the spirit doesn't have anything to do with emotion. Now, we sometimes synonymously say, well, I got into the spirit of the moment, and we're thinking of the emotions, but the word spirit means the, the, the part of us that can know God. It's the intellectual, moral, mental part that knows God, and the way you know God is through the Scripture. The more you know about God through the Scripture, the more your spirit relates to him, understands what he's done for you, sometimes the emotions will flow as a result of that. Sometimes I, I think when I hear the choir sing or the songs are sung, sometimes when we're singing as a congregation, I think about what we're singing and my emotions get involved and I get choked up and can't sing. But it's because I understand about what I'm singing and what you're, you do too, what you're singing that you are moved emotionally. It's intense. And when Mary says that her spirit has rejoiced in God, she is saying that she's understood who God is. She knows what he has said. And she believes in the truth that's been revealed. But the beginning point of all true worship of God is an understanding of the facts about God. Which means you have to understand the word of God and be taught the word of God to, to truly worship. Are you with me? Because, see, what does that say about these groups that get together and all they do is have a big pep rally? They don't ever talk about who God is, what he's done. They don't ever tell you the truth about the Spirit. They just go and get together and get all hyped up and psyched out with all kinds of music. And then they leave and say, man, I worship today. Maybe they did. I'm not God. I don't know their heart, but I will tell you, unless the truth of God is proclaimed and unless you understand who God is and can relate to him, you can't really worship. Amen. Unless you've experienced him, you can't really worship. Sometimes worship, sometimes it's more emotional than others. Sometimes you don't feel good. Your body hurts. You don't feel good. You're tired. Does that mean you can't worship? No, because worship in spirit means I know who God is. In fact, 
A lot of people say they can't worship unless they feel like it. They think they're not truly worshiping unless they feel something. But what did Jesus say in John 4 to the woman at the well? True worshipers worship God in spirit and truth. See how those go together? The more truth I know, the more my spirit relates to God, the more I understand what God has done for me. And true worship of God doesn't just focus on feelings. And we know this to be true about Mary worshiping. She had a mind that was thoroughly soaked in Scripture. We know this from the way that the angel speaks to her and how she responds to the angel. We see what Mary says, and we know it, that she lives it, and she raises Jesus. We know it from the way she interacts with her husband, Joseph. We know that she was definitely aware that she was the person that needed to worship God. Well, we go from the approach and the awareness of worship to the action and attitude in worship. Again, there's at least two ways this is shown. The action of worship is that it is consistent. It's habitual. (laughs) You're in the habit of it. You know, my soul magnifies present tense. It means you continue to magnify the Lord. When God's done something good for you, you always are acknowledging it. We gather together and meet together, and we honor the Lord, and we worship the Lord. But when you, during the week, do you just have one of those moments when you just say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me? I hope you do. I hope you know that you don't have to come in here to thank God. Now, you don't want to neglect coming in here because we're told in the Scripture to collectively come together. You have your private worship. You have your collective worship. But here, let me tell you what what this tells you and me. Regardless of your circumstances, you can worship. Because we're going to focus in our worship on something that never changes. God never changes. Holy Spirit never changes. Jesus never changes. Our salvation never changes. Our future never changes. And when we think of that in our spirit and we focus on that, then even if my heart is sad, even if my heart is troubled, Even if in my life the circumstances don't look really good, I can still worship. Are you with me? And see, this flies in the face of all those knuckleheads that tell you, well, you know what? If if you don't have everything going your way, then your faith is lacking and there's something wrong with you. And I want to tell you something. There is something wrong with all of us. We're all flawed. We're sinful. There's nothing wrong with God. And that's who you focus on. If you worship only when it happens on Sunday morning, you come and get pumped up and only happens around Christmas season or Easter. If if your worship only happens when things are going well in your life, then you're not a true worshiper. A lot of people think, well, I only worship on Sunday morning. That kind of reminds me of a lady was picking up a little boy going to take him to to preschool for her neighbor. And when she, she drove up in front of the house, a little Chris 
came out and he hugged an older lady. And when, when Chris got in the car, the, the lady said, well, Chris, who, who was that? Oh, that's my grandmother. She came to visit us. Well, that's awesome. Chris, where does your grandmother live? He said, at the airport. Because <laughs> every time we want to see her, we go to the airport and get her. Well, a lot of people have that concept when it comes to worship. If I want to worship, I go to church. Well, that's just a good place to come, and it is a place we're supposed to come. But my, folk, my friends, you need to understand that regardless of the ebb and flow of your circumstances, you still can worship. It's habitual. You are in the habit of it. God, I thank you that you are here. I thank you that you never leave me or forsake me. The attitude in this part is humility. It's also humble. Pride is the worship of self. Our pride tells us that we don't need God. If we're not thankful, it's because we're not focused on him. You know, sometimes we feel like, well, God hasn't given me what I deserved, and God hadn't given me what I counted on or hoped for or prayed for or thought. I'll tell you something. You better thank God he doesn't give you what you deserve. Because we don't deserve anything. Humility is being so focused on God that you may or may not be, what, what may or may not be yours is of little consequences. You don't focus on you. Here's the thing about Mary. She says this thing is so incomprehensible to her that God would have such regard for such a humble, common girl. She doesn't say anything about herself. She says, I can't believe you called on me. She, she doesn't say, well, I think you made a pretty good choice. I know a lot of women who aren't as godly as me. No. You have regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. You see... We're, we're pretty good about showing and telling our successes, but in reality, the focus ought to be on the Lord. And, and I want to tell you, not, not a person in this room or listening to my voice in the venue or on television or in, online, there's not a person on earth who's been saved that deserved it or earned it. You were saved by grace through the mercy of God, by faith in Jesus Christ. And you and I didn't deserve it. We sort of get this idea, man, God, you're so fortunate to have me on your side. I want to tell you something. You want to know how, if God can do without you? This is a horrible analogy, but get you a big five-gallon bucket, fill it with water, and put your foot in it. And when you pull it out, you see how long the hole stays there. That's about how much God has to have you. We're here for a moment. When we leave, we're not going to leave a very big hole. It'll be filled up pretty quick. And you and I need to understand that. We need to understand that when I come to God, I, Lord, I, I, I just can't believe that you allow me to be saved. I can't believe that you allow me to hear the gospel. I can't believe that you allow me to be in your kingdom. There's a third thing, the acknowledgement and aim and worship. My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. 
the object of the worship. Our worship is God, not a building, not a pastor, not a, not a, a denomination. Our worship is toward God. And that's why we're here to acknowledge him. All the glory and honor go to him. All the worship goes to him. Luke 4, 8, Jesus said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Only. Worship to God. Mary knew that. 1 Timothy 1:17. to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And did you pick up that phrase in verse 47 when she said, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. See, she wasn't sinless. She needed to be saved. And she knew it. God's called the Savior many times in Scripture, especially in 1 Timothy and Titus. God is the one who dreamed up redemption, and God is the one who came after us. God is a saving God by nature. Our God is unlike any other God because, first of all, there is no other real God. But our God is not Allah. It's not the same. If you think we're worshiping the same God as the Muslims, we're not. Because our God is a God of compassion and mercy and redemption and salvation. Our God is not the same as the thousands of Hindu gods or Buddha or anyone else. Our God is the one who is the one true God, and he is the one to be worshipped. We acknowledge that, and he is our aim. He is our goal. Finally, we see the approach and the awareness in worship and the action and attitude, and then we see the acknowledgement and the aim, but finally, notice the affirmation and appreciation and worship comes in two forms, and I'm done. First of all, it comes personally. Personally. It's amazing how many times we equate music as the only form of worship. Oh, I, I come for the worship. I come for the, the I, I can't worship if the music's not just right. I can't worship. There's a Greek word for that. Baloney. <laughs> Baloney. Because worship with you begins on the inside. It has nothing to do with the external stuff. Now, there may be some songs you like better, and there may be some that you think are more conducive to worship, whatever that means. But I'm going to tell you something. Don't ever blame Jerry Newman if you hadn't worshipped. Don't ever blame David Wilson if you hadn't worshipped. Don't blame your Sunday school teacher or whoever, the choir, whoever, if you hadn't worshipped because, first of all, it's realizing that a holy God would do this for you. You begin to focus on him. That's where she said, when she said, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. What she meant was, I am such a sinful, lowly person. And what God has done for me, generations are going to call me blessed. Well, I got news for you. The generations behind you are going to call you blessed. Are you blessed? Have you been saved? Yes, you are blessed. Your children are going to say, you know what? God blessed my parents because they followed Jesus. 
And then your grandchildren. God bless my grandparents because they followed Jesus and because he saved them. Everyone in here could be say, could with Mary say, the generations behind me are going to call me blessed. Not because I'm something special, not because of anything I've done, but because of what God did for me. But I have news for you. You cannot worship if you've not experienced the salvation that God has given you. You can't. You can go through the motions, but you don't know. You you don't think about anything God's done for you. If you've never been saved, you're still lost in your sin. You don't appreciate salvation because you've not experienced it. But those of us who have I'll tell you, the older I get, the more real I realize how sinful I am Amen. and how, how I, I, I'm so ashamed of the times that I thought, well, you know, being raised in, in a preacher's home and being at the church all the time and, and being more godly than the deacon's kids and all of that stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm teasing you, but the fact is, maybe I haven't been through some of the low places in life that some of you have been, but I'll tell you, I'm still a sinner saved by the grace of God. And why, why he saved me, I do not know. Other than he loves me. And I don't know why he loves me. But when you start to focus on what God has done, it, it changes your worship. Jesus didn't, I mean, the Lord didn't change Mary's social status, did he? She's still a lowly lady. She didn't become a queen on earth. She still had the same friends. She didn't become rich. In fact, Jesus had to give her to John, the apostle, to take care of her after he died. But he did change her spiritual status. And I can't tell you that Jesus will change your social status today, but I can tell you that Jesus will change your spiritual status now. He will. It's not only personal, but it's also collective. Collectively, you see, and I don't have time to read verses 51 and following, but there are seven aorist verbs, point in time verbs, used to describe what God has done for his own people. And she, she begins to say to them, God has done this for us. God has done this for us and for us and for Israel and, and so forth. So we personally worship. But isn't it more fun when you come together and it's collective? Because I want you to look around this place. I want you to look to your right. Look at the person, look in, look at the person to your right. <laughs> you know, that just doesn't work, does it? Because when they turn, you're looking at the back of their head. So sorry, sorry, that didn't work. <laughs> but if you look around this room, I want, you, I want you to think for a moment. Look at all these. You don't know many people in this room. A lot of you don't. But all of us are here. All of us are here. Because we've been saved the same way. None of us in here deserved it, did we? I'm so glad he saved you. 
I'm so glad you're part of the kingdom. I'm so glad you're going to heaven. I'm so glad that you've been forgiven. We got a section reserved for us in heaven. The Southcrest section will be there. I want to be in that section. I'm sure there's some other good sections, but this is the one I want to be in. But when we collectively come together, isn't it encouraging to see other people here? You wouldn't like it if you were the only one here and I was just preaching to you, would you? You see, your presence encourages other people. If everybody said, well, I don't have to come to church, there'd be no encouragement, there'd be no collective worship because all of us in here, we can sing, we can stand and sing those songs like we show. One of my favorite songs is that... that, uh, and we start singing, I will praise the name of the Lord our God. I could sing that forever. We stand together collectively. Now, I want to tell you something. The spirit of Christmas is not dependent upon the music you hear. It's not dependent upon how many gifts you buy or receive. The real spirit of Christmas is acknowledging what God has done by sending his son Jesus and the fact that you and I were able to be a part of it, to receive it, to have it. What if you lived in one of the countries that Josh serves in? You live in darkness and you've not heard the gospel or you've been told a lie all your life. You don't have that because of the truth. Aren't you glad? If you don't know Jesus, you cannot worship. You can go through the motions. A lot of churches today will meet and they'll recite stuff and they'll sing songs, but they do not worship in spirit and truth because they don't focus on what God has done in their spirit. Sometimes my soul gets involved. (laughs) Sometimes my soul doesn't, but my spirit always knows the truth. And those days when I don't feel like I'm saved, my spirit says, God said he would never leave me. God said, I'll save you to the uttermost. Your salvation is secure. You don't go by your feelings. If you don't know Jesus, you can know him today. Would you pray with me? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.